Hello and welcome to Cities ABC video podcast series. My name is Dinis Guarda and uh, we are here again to interview some leading thought leaders and the makers of the new world in a world that is very, very transformed by a lot of different things happening, both digital transformation, COVID-19 and a lot of other challenges that we're facing. Um, CitiesABC.com was created as a platform that wants to create solutions for cities, for the citizens, and for everyone around the world. And as well was created as a way of creating a new um, way of creating a platform decentralized using different technologies like blockchain and uh, artificial intelligence. But first of all, focus on people and focus on a way of engaging all of us that live in cities. Everyone in the world lives in cities. 70% of the world lives in cities. And um, we need more and more to each other to manage everything we're doing. But we have still a lot of challenges to transform and to bring the world part of the economy that's still in paper, that is still offline. And uh, during this series of interviews, we've been actually profiling some of the world-leading personalities in different areas of technology, in different areas of business, in different areas of politics and different areas of even academic world. Um, today we have someone with us that I deeply respect and actually we've been engaging for a long time in digital, Ellen Yu. She's the chief customer officer for Showpad, but as well as the world leading sales enabled, that is a world sales enabled company. And she's the CEO and founder of Tigon Advisory. Mr. Yu has uh, helped startups and technology founders and accelerate growth through CXO, which is customer experience, and as a service offering. And she's been leading multi-billion dollars revenue growth for Fortune 500 companies, including Oracle, Adobe, and Marketo. And she was dubbed as well as a top global influencer in digital transformation by IBM, top 35 women in finance by Analytica, the global top 10 marketing thought leadership and the global top five startup thought leader by Finkers for under 60. And as well as someone that I like because of the kindness and the way she focuses in the communication and the relationships. And it's a, an honor to have you here, Alan. Wonderful to have you here. Hi, Dennis. Likewise, it's a, such an honor to uh, be meeting you and also have an opportunity to share thoughts today. Thank you. So, um, I want to start, and I, I always more or less start by the same, but I adapt a bit. But I think in your case, it's particularly interesting. So you, you are right now completely American, but you come from China, and you have a very interesting background in terms of the education, in terms of different things and different ways. And as well, you live in Chicago, which is a very American city with a lot of contradictions. So um, can you tell us a bit about that background from China to U.S., Chicago, and as well, a bit of education? And uh, what made you the Ellen you that you are today? Wow, that's a million dollar question, Dennis. Um, I don't think I ever planned uh, my journey at all, right? That journey, I call it 7,000 mile journey from Beijing to LaGuardia Airport, New York, uh, many, many years ago, um, really set, set up my journey to, um, to school, to graduate study. Uh, and then from that point on, and it was originally planned to be in the U.S. just for two years and go back and work. And then uh, all sorts of events happened. I was able to uh, find a job after graduating and then uh, landed here. And then ever since I learned so much right, about, I, I 
started off as a accountant, financial analyst at a company, and then became learned about coding, coding, and then joined. We eight years into Hyperion, we were acquired by Oracle. So I became a solution architect uh, post Oracle uh, acquisition. Uh, where I find it very uh, fascinating because that's where I learned enterprise software sales from Keith Block at the time was a EVP of sales. Uh, and then I joined Adobe. I learned about marketing and SaaS and then uh, also led the startup to scale up challenges at Marketo. So that's where I became obsessed with uh, digital transformation, growth hacking ever since. No, that's that's amazing. So one of the things I'm particularly always excited to talk is about um, the cultural nuances. Um, how do we deal with different cultural backgrounds ourselves? And then how we deal with that on our day-to-day -day lives. Uh, for instance, I'm Portuguese, a bit French, and living outside of my country for 20 years. So in my case, my, my culture is a bit blurred in a lot of ways. But of course, there's all the things that makes you who you are. In your case, you were born in China, but grew up in the US and actually studied there and you stayed there for a long time. So why would you define this kind of culture and personality of yours in terms of the geopolitics? I think this is very important, especially yeah. and nowadays that we have so much issue, especially between China and the US, but as well uh, in the world, as especially we have a very strange phase where the digitally offline is in a bit of a contradiction in a lot yeah. of ways. I believe um, we, we are who we are, um, really pretty much driven by how we grew up, right? I grew up, for example, with my grandmother, 76 miles away from Beijing. Uh, I grew up with nine cousins. I was the only girl and the youngest growing up. So I learned so much good quality. My grandma taught me how to really grow up strong and then grew up in a way that I always want to learn, right, from others and then serve the better need of others. That's being said, and as coming here, it was a transition, right? And it's the whole part of growing up with boys and then coming here made me feel more comfortable to be surrounded in the technology world later on. And then I, you know, being part of Oracle Solution Architect, I was probably one of the only female solution architect for a long time, at least five years and then really felt very, very comfortable, right? There, granted, there's culture difference, though with culture difference, but I believe you're, if you're super good at what you do, people will, you're gonna gain respect, right? People will change their perspective and you know, get connected with you. There's definitely geographic difference, right? Even in the US, right? You go to the Chicago culture, it's very different from the culture in Silicon Valley. So, you know, also quite different in New York. Uh, and then let alone the culture difference in Europe. And then fortunately, I've been running global team over the past 10 years or more than 10 years. So I've learned so much from the people on my team. Uh, I think the, the way to overcome culture difference is to listen and learn. As always, talk to people, understand, right, what's, what matters to them. What is their purpose? Uh, what's important to the people you're dealing with and listen to them, learn about the difference and embrace the difference. It's very important for us. To me, it's like the world has evolved so much, right? Because of technology advancement. 
we shouldn't really, we should allow or embrace a different, the diversity of thoughts. This is not about gender or race, this is about diversity of thoughts. And we should embrace people, the differences, people, different opinions people have, and then really listen to them, understand why they have that sort of opinion. You don't have to agree with each other, but at least you should let other people to express their different opinions and understand why. That's all, right? It matters. And then if we can all do that, this is ties to digital transformation. The three key barriers for digital transformation, number one, culture, right? It is a culture of collaboration, culture of um, sharing. Uh, most of the time, organizations fail when it comes to digital transformation. It's not because of technology. It's because of they don't have the culture of collaboration culture of sharing, culture of understanding the different, the diversity of thoughts. Um, so that's really so critical for people to embrace uh, diversity of thoughts. It's, that's a very important thing in terms of uh, the way you, you listen to other cultures and especially the way you have to learn. And I think this, this is a very important thing nowadays. I think especially when we have so much noise around us because of technology, because of uh, even right now, the contention with COVID-19, but as well all the geopolitics or all the different movements. And I think over there in Chicago, things are even more sensitive. So, but one of the things that I like particularly with you is that one of the things that you've been focused is in the crossroads between tech and humanity. Mm -hmm. um, I would like to hear your vision about that because definitely, um, and as well, I think that touches the way you build all your business um, DNA but as well the way you, you look at a lot of different angles. So I would like to hear about that um, to start. And then, of course, how you've been building your career because you've been having fantastic achievements from Oracle uh, to a lot of different things that you've been working. Yeah, sure. I, I believe growth thrives at the crossroad of tech and humanity, right? So technology really defeats its purpose if it does not serve the greater good of the society or solve the real problems. So that's why before organizations embrace any technology, they must embrace humanity first as an organization. So, you know, the technology, obviously technology play a huge part of the role in digital transformation. However, technology does not live in the, in, live in the world by itself. Making technology and humanity mutually exclusive is like cutting off oxygen from to, to a plant, right? The plant won't survive without oxygen and neither technology if it is of, if it is thought of exclusively. So in digital transformation, technology only contributes to 20% of the success, company success. 80% is about leading people to a more successful place through that effective change management. This is why the intersection, understanding intersection, understand what motivates people to really thrive with that change is so critical to companies' success. Yeah, I'm 100% I'm with this, and I think this is not so easy. And I think uh, I love one of the things that, um, that you, you, you advocate, and I'm completely subscribed, but I would like to work on this. So one of the things is that you have a rare combination of intellect work ethic and compassion. And I love that. This is a beautiful thing that I think uh, is missing a lot in business, is missing, especially in politics. <laughs> I'm not going to go there, but, uh, but we need this massive. And especially as we code technology, 
and we go into the direction of total digital transformation and start building our digital twins. Because if we build technology without the compassion, without the work ethics or the ethics, this becomes really very complicated. So I want to I want to hear a bit about how do you see this kind of combination. Yeah, I mean, that actually, by the way, that was a quote from uh, Jabot co-founder Jonathan, and I, I serve as an advisor for a couple of years. Uh, it's a MarTech company out of Boston. So uh, both of the co-founders uh, was on Forbes 30 and the 30 list, uh, very bright founders. So um, to me, I think there are only two options when it comes to digital transformation. Either you disrupt or you will be disrupted, right? That's exciting because it's exciting to think that we can choose growth for our organizations. We can choose to scale our companies, choose to win. You know, the, the true disruptors, in my opinion, they don't sell products. They sell a whole way of, whole new way of thinking. That's what really what digital transformation is. So I've been actually very lucky throughout my career to be in the crossfire of the way we've done that. And also, what do we need to do to prepare for the future? Uh, digital transformation is actually the bridge to between those two worlds. Uh, one of, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about my career path in from, Ar from Hyperion and being acquired by Oracle and then joined uh, Adobe and then Marketo. So that path really helped me uh, learned so much, right, things and different things throughout the career. I think the learning agility uh, really played a major role in my growth personally. Also set a foundation for me to better serve the greater good of society and then help me to really uh, much better understand and have much deeper understanding of the crossroad between tech and humanity. Yeah, that's uh, very, very important. And I think we... I've been teaching in business schools, but, but this is something that is not completely conscious. And I think especially on the corporate world, there's a lot of work to be on that direction. And I love as well the, what you've been talking about, the idea, and I think moving right now to the topic of digital transformation that you touch. Um, in terms of digital transformation, like you said, there's only, or you do it, or you, if you don't focus on that, you will, you will not survive and you don't have any of these things. But, but the challenge is that this is the theory, the practices that people are still resisting. And I think we have a big paradox. Uh, my research and even most of the research and, and a lot of the things I've been doing is that it, it tells me that the world economy is still paper. Uh, mm -hmm. Probably 80% or 90% of the world economy is still on paper. Uh, for instance, we have 450 million uh, SMEs and startups in the world. From mm -hmm. these 450 million SMEs and startups, most of them don't even have a website, probably 70 to 80%. Oh. Um, so that's a massive opportunity for people like us, but this is not so simple because for instance, I, I've been working with multiple governments and having a politician that understands digital, it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. Even if people are mm -hmm. all using Twitter or Facebook, even to try to, to use it for the wrong things, but there's a massive challenge. How we do this in the right way. So you've mm -hmm. been working on the relationship of digital transformation and as well, all the areas, the bridge between all these different worlds. So how would you define digital transformation on a holistic way and as well in a pragmatic way? Mm -hmm. So digital transformation to me is really an opportunity, right? I mentioned earlier to either disrupt or to be dis disrupted. 
it's not about technology. It's not about selling product. It's a whole new way of thinking. But as you said, it's so easy to say that because everybody agrees with that statement. When it comes to practi- practical, um, when it comes to the the realization or adoption of that is very different, right? To me, there are three secret ingredients of digital transformation adoption. Number one is something I mentioned earlier, culture. As an organization, you have to create a culture of collaboration and sharing, right? You have to embrace the different, the, the diversity of thoughts and really understand, listen, understand, assess the psychological impact of digital transformation, really understand you know, if where that takes you and then what are potential roadblock. And then if you don't have the right culture, then you're not ready. Secondly is a talent, right? You got to make sure you upscale the workforce talents and or you create a bi-model workforce for more rapid realignment to changing dynamics. Thirdly, it is related practice. Oftentimes, you know, the organization, they have the strategy in place, they have the people, right? Some of the leaders in place. If you, but if your practice or processes are way too complex, you're not really nimble enough to align your strategy with your, uh, with your execution. And then you, you won't be able to succeed either, right? So embracing a simpler and more agile practice allows company to adopt, um, adapt much faster. So those are the three things that are super critical. Um, so I, and you, if you ever look at my website, I talk about um, the startup. There are a lot of disconnects in the startups world. It also applies to the larger organization, right? When it comes to growing company, digital transformation, there are five gaps, right? You, you oftentimes see number one is product uh, market gap. Oftentimes the company, a lot of great concepts there as you turn an idea into a, a product, uh, if market demand is not there, if that's not aligned with your product, and then you won't be able to progress right with, your pro- the, with where you want to be. And second thing is define minimum uh, gap. All the founders in, in the startup world, they understand, define the variable minimum product. But my theory is, or I even you know, took that in practice, is not about defining the minimum variable product. The key is to define the minimum variable repeatability. If you, doesn't matter, you can have the beautiful, the best product, but then if it cannot repeatable a success in the marketplace, then you're not going far, right? That's why 90% of startups fail. The third gap I see is the voice of the customer gap. No matter what you build, if you don't listen to your customer, you don't talk to them, understand why they would like, what they like about your product, what they don't like about it, continue to innovate, then you won't go far either. And then the next one is measurement gap. You have to hold your team accountable. You have to set up the right expectation, really align, right? measure that their success. And, and the fifth one is process gap. In order to do that, you gotta have the process in place, ensure that the practice and processes are aligned, aligning your strategy with your execution. So by doing all those things, I've been having the, helping the founders and CEOs to um, scale their business. And by following those framework, um, 
we we've seen tremendous amount of growth and uh, also um, some increase of the responsibility. I would say uh, accountability and alignment, and then that leads to company growth. Yeah, this is really critical, and I think it's it's um, it's very difficult. I think nowadays it's more difficult than ever. I would say that from my experience, what I've been very um, how can I put it? Very perplexed even as a CEO and as a, an author and as well a researcher is that you see all these different companies trying to do this and um, they're failing massive. And I think for us, if you see the quantity of failures and as well, we have right now almost three kind of layers in business. In one end, we have like major corporations worldwide that have a huge control of the world economy. Then you have like startups or medium companies and like the, the 500s and things like that. And well, actually probably a second and then the startups and the small medium. And then you have really like very small companies that are like the major companies in the world, like the mama and papa's business and so forth. <laughs> they are very fragile and we have a lot of challenges on that level because they don't have the knowledge how to use digital and this creates a lot of disparity. But so... One of the things that I'm particularly interesting is that uh, you are behind Tigon Advisory. You are the CEO yeah. and founder. And as well, Showpad. You have uh, a responsibility, and Showpad is about uh, um, the, the, the areas of more um, sales enablement. And I, I think yes. this is particularly important for us. It's one area that I, I want to learn much more. And as well, then you have Tigon Advisory, which is a much more ambitious uh, 360. So probably starting with the Showpad and then going to Tigon yeah. Advisory, if you could tell us about sure. that. So Showpad is a world-leading sales enablement uh, platform. Uh, What we do, we actually help organizations better prepare the sellers and then help them engage with the buyers and then provide the analytical insights into content and learning effectiveness. For example, if you have a sales team who are uh, like to prepare for a presentation, if they're going to Tesla, let's say, and then we can identify all the con- relevant content to that seller, right, the sales rep, to say, here's the information presentation we've made to BMW. And then you can pull a few slides from the BMW presentation, plus something else we've used for Ford or some video. You can very quickly assemble them uh, together to get ready. And then once you get to present that, you can share the document with the customer, with, uh, with the prospect. Uh, with their consent, you can track to see once they receive the document, have they reviewed this or shared with others. We have a share space to allow your entire account team to share the information. We also provide the learning capability to help companies to ramp up their sales rep. If you have a global team, we actually use Showpad uh, ourselves to run our business today. If you have a 100-plus sales team, very easily, you can say, here is the new go-to-market message. Can you just read that, read that, and then do a pitch via video, send it over to your manager so the manager can quickly um, share, score you and share that back. And then so we have a scorecard to show who is at the top of the scorecard. And then you can also learn from each other. You can pick the best of the highest score sales pitch to say, I'm, I want to listen, learn from my, my peer to see how this person pitch, right, this go-to-market message. So that's the learning capability. And certainly is the analytics component. We have a dashboard that shows you the content effectiveness. We can link that to the top performing rep, right, to say which piece of content generated by marketing 
is the highly utilized content that converts the most sales. So by doing that, you know, the collaboration with sales and marketing and the sales enablement leader, we are able to drive the productivity or improve the pro productivity overall, most importantly, to lead the growth. That, um, that's why so many customers, right, uh, uh, are, we have uh, more than 1,200 customers. Many of them are large, the GE Healthcare of the world, the Johnson Johnson of the world, many, many of them uh, across the globe. Oh, that's uh, fantastic. And then Tiger Advisory. So Tiger Advisory, it's, it's, you are the CEO and founder. Do you have as well a team that is behind different pro products, the, the traction gap, which I like a lot. But yeah. can you tell us how did you create Tiger Advisory and uh, what is the company about for people that never heard about it? Yeah, I started the Tiger Advisory two and a half years ago. Um, I think that was, uh, we, as you probably heard, Marketo was acquired. Uh, after uh, I uh, stayed three and a half years at Marketo, we, we grew Marketo from 60 million to 280 plus million dollars. So we were acquired by a PE firm, Vista Equity, $1.85 billion. So I left, um, took a little bit of uh, time uh, to work with a couple other companies, and then I actually to work with one company and then I uncovered a lot of gaps, right? And traction, the growth gaps. So I decided to start my own company um, about two and a half years ago. Um, it's actually um, to, the reason I started because I realized a lot of startups cannot afford the full-time employee when it comes to C-suite executive, right? And early their, their growth, they, really are in need of a CFO, CMO, or CRO, but they cannot afford having hiring all three different roles in a given moment because of limited funding they could have early growth stage. So I realized there was a gap there, and then the intent of starting this company was to offer a affordable rate to allow startup founders to say, I, hey, I'm gonna pay you a flat rate every month. And then sometimes I need a CMO, I bring them the CMO, the people with that skill set. And then three months later, they want a CRO instead. And then another three months, they need a CFO instead. So when I say CXO as a service, that's what I meant. So I bring, my company bring people in that C-suite caliber with different skill set to the company when they're in need. So they don't have to worry about, oh, I'm gonna go out spend. Sometimes it takes them six months to even find the right person in the caliber they need and then they can't really afford, afford right? So we're doing all the ground work for them, for, for um, companies. And then we, I have a very broad network, right? People who are not willing to take a full-time job, but they're super capable. They rather cherry pick a project or two throughout the year. So, you know, there's a demand and supply, and then that's how we help, I help the companies to do that. Um, so that serves the needs from both ends, right? That's how this uh, process started. That's actually how I joined the Showpad because I served as a consultant or advisor to when they, they were in need to look for a head of services and support, and then, then they needed to expand that role so they convinced me to stay as a full-time employee. So those, uh, that's why, I mean, I still have the company, 
Uh, but right now, I'm more refer people in my network to other companies who are in need. I also do, the second thing I do is also more influencing marketing. Right? Some of the times I, I write, as you probably noticed, uh, sometimes organizations wanted to elevate their brand. They want me to collaborate with me to write a blog about them. Uh, and then those are typically the paid service I offer as well. Very good. So, so in terms of the, um, the CXO, and I'm particularly interested in that, Terry, because it's an area that... Um, that is critical, like you touch, that if you don't have a customer uh, relationships and the customer experience in the right way, um, most of the companies fail. And this is very difficult because for us, you have approach of uh, companies that are very customer centric and other com companies that automate everything. And if you have the, for instance, the Apple, the Apple experience that is not actually a brand that actually has a very strong customer service, yep. but it has a good service that the, the, customer, the customer experience is through the technology. Um, so, which is sometimes not very good if you have a problem with the technology, but, but, but I think it's, I think they go through the norm for the, not through the ex exception. So how do you define the CXO and as well, the customer experience and all this vertical and business development, especially in, in the technology world. And I, I know that you, it's one of your areas of expertise, but how do you suggest and how do you develop this, this approach towards mm -hmm. this? Yeah. So in terms of the customer experience, we all know, right? That's the one of the most fundamental uh, area that every company wants to focus on but when it comes to practice i started off building customer journey for example at showpad uh, we build a customer journey when i say customer journey is like when customer started evaluating you as a solution and then they make an investment right phase right and then also then they adopting your solution then they decide to expand so as they go through those four phases they have different expectation for their experience right what that would be for example when they evaluate a solution you better be findable right not only you you be you need to make sure you create the awareness the branding also you want to make sure they they find the company who the, the what they stand for right for example if you really stand for the humanity, some of the company want to work with people with that kind of mindset or, or that kind of diversity of thoughts. So it's so important for you to know who your target audience would be, right? Who are you? you know, the, the first question I, I talked to the founder is that give me three words to describe what you want, problem you want to solve, right? By having your company. Once you do that, you align your why and purpose to um, the customer expectation, right? As they evaluate, you want to make sure the people, the company that you want to work with can find you from those keywords. And then when they move to the investment side, they also wanted to know um, the process you have in place, the people who plays what role, and then what is their expectation is through that journey, that experience. So we created a, a customer room here where we clearly define, right? I, when I, you walk into four different rooms, I know um, all, among all the customers we have, how many of them are going through onboarding. So that's my onboarding room. So my professional service team is in that room working with the customer to ensure the flawless experience as it goes through onboarding. And the second room is adoption room. So I have customers who go through the 
crawl, walk, run phase as they go through on, uh, adoption, right? Adoption of our solution. So what that means is the sales enablement maturity, crawl, walk, run. So we measure them, we benchmark them, knowing that where they are at and knowing that if they're a crawler today, how do we move them from being a crawler to a walker? How do you move them from walker to a runner? If there's a repeatability there, how do we help our customers become more mature? What are the things, the pattern we see? Then we created service offerings based on that, their journey, based on our expectation. The third room is expansion, right? So that's where we looking at every single customer, identify the growth opportunity for them and for us. And then we, that's where the sales team go in to look at every single opportunity. We you know, strategize the, the account and talking to everybody, learning from our customers to expand. The fourth room is advocacy. So that's where marketing go in. We have, you know, if we have 400 plus customers are willing to be our reference, marketing needs to follow up, right? To, to follow up, to turn them into collateral, turn them into testimonial or case study. So by doing that, we create a culture of accountability around customer experience. And also we create an active listening path through our customer, the voice of our customer. That's how we become very efficient, right? And then and through the customer journey process, we also identify the roles and responsibilities. We, we learn what are the process we have today? What are the process we need to have uh, that we do not have, then we prioritize to create those processes and practices so that we can align our strategy with our execution plan. So I think all these um, nuances are critical for companies to really adapt and then be, you know, that's how they can be more successful when it comes to digital transformation. Yeah, that's, that's uh, uh, you have an entire subscription. I'm sure that you are preparing your book. There's a lot of interesting education and as well a lot of things that I think everyone needs to, to consider when it comes to the roadmap for digital transformation. And I think it's, it's actually a very complex roadmap, but at the same time, it's quite simple if you, if you really prioritize it. So as an influencer, and you touched that, Terry, you've been actually growing a global brand uh, that touches a lot of different areas and that's a lot Growth hacking. I would like to touch the growth hack before we go to influencer, or at least I don't know if you relate the two. So I think this is a big area because it's be, it's super difficult to get customers, uh, for especially for a digital brand. Even right now, it's social media. Uh, building things on Twitter is becoming crazy more difficult um, in YouTube, and it's expensive in the end of the day. And as well, it's very difficult. For there's a lot of influence, especially right now in industries like lifestyle, fashion, that are struggling because, of course, their industries right now with COVID-19 are facing a lot of challenges. So how do you see the influencer marketing, bearing in mind that you are as well an influencer in technology, B2B technology, but as well right now, building a, grow, a global brand for your social media channels, and as well a B2B brand for your business. How do you do the bridge and as well, how do you see influencer marketing and the growth hacking? Yeah, that's a million dollar question, Dennis. Uh, I, Personally, I think that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the first question I asked, what is your purpose, right? For any company or individual who wants to build a brand, I always say, who do you want to be, right? I, my three words, strategy, asking yourself, if I ask you to describe you or your brand in three words, 90% of the time, the person I talk to cannot come up with that. I said, okay. I give you a week, come back and we talk again. So then 
by the time you can really think through that clearly, you can come up with three words that describe your purpose, your why, either you or your company, your brand. I think you, you get come really closer, much closer. It's not about marketing. That's important. It's about us thinking through what exactly we stand for as a brand or individual, right? I've been thinking about myself. For example, I want to be a multiplier. My entire, you know, the social responsibility and strengthening the tech ecosystem through community and collaboration is so important to me, right? So to me, even on my birthday, I volunteer my time to make a difference, right? That's being said, you know, you know, also I find, you know, I get inspired by um, really mentoring, coaching the upcoming leaders, uh, either female leaders or the leaders in the underrepresented community. So to me, multiplier is one word. And second word is curiosity, right? I have this learning agility. I learn about cybersecurity. I learn about uh, emerging technology. Anything that comes at me, I absorb and learn, right? And I'm fascinated by that. And then third thing is grit, Right, and you're talking about how I grew up and I, I climbed the Mount Everest base camp, all those things I do, right, because of the, you know, really make sure I learn. You know, all those things I apply to the business I do, everything I do. And then if you really think through that, marketing will follow. Right? To me, like if you look at my Twitter, I don't pay a single dollar to social media. Everything is earned today, right? The, even I started Twitter, uh, I think it was two to three years ago by accident because I've been talking to all the founders and, and advise them how to build their brand. But I had them all in theory. I said, let me test it. Right. And some of the people, companies I work with, they have limited funding. And then I said, if I do not spend a single dollar, let's see where that takes me. So you look at the gross material. I'm not spending a single dollar today. It's all through organic content creation. Is through you know the target audience that I'm interested in connecting with or interacting with, and then that's all through being authentic, right? Generating or creating value for the audience that I'm interested in interacting with. So to me, it's like you don't have to spend so much in marketing. Obviously, if you have a deeper pocket, go do it. It doesn't hurt. But if you don't, it's also doable, right? Being authentic, you know, stand for a brand, stand for a value that you believe in, and then articulate that value to your audience, right? To me, the most important is you connect with your audience that you care about, and then show them the path from being ordinary to being extraordinary, and then show them the path with evidence, evidence meaning what you've done, what you can do. Right. So to me, that's the most important. Once you, you know, really realize that and then everything else is very simple. Marketing to me should be very authentic. Right. It shouldn't be anything forced. Um, it should be something, whatever you say in an advertising or whatever, that should be something you truly believe you can articulate. Everybody in your company should live in that value and believe in that value because that's when it comes, uh, it's so critical, like Apple, right? Think differently. And that's when that big thing came out, it was, wow, right? People really get inspired. Uh, and then you think about Disney making people happy. You think about Nike, just do it. So you can really associate, if you can associate something with the brand, that's a success of a brand.
right? When that happens. Uh, to me, it's just associate with something you truly believe in and you live with that. And that's and then connect with your audience. It's very inspiring. And uh, I love to hear you because it's, it's uh, I think one of the things, uh, especially that I see as an influencer is the passion that drives you and that sense of, of uh, engagement. Because it's, of course, uh, you might uh, use different techniques to grow your social networks according to what you need. It depends for us, you are a business leader, but you are as well doing social media. And I know that it's not easy because social media is very demanding and very, it takes a lot of energy as well. So yes. one of the things that I'm particularly interested in, you touch a bit that, but I want to go deeper, is the, the idea of personal branding. And as well, um, I think this is critical because, for instance, um, in our business and as well uh, in my career as in, in going for a lot of big corporations, some of the world-leading organizations, actually, you see a lot of problems in terms of people understanding personal branding. Mm -hmm. And as well, the importance of digital transformation for their own brands. Because first, you have CEOs of multi-billion dollar companies that don't know how to use social media at all. Uh, mm -hmm. And worse, they don't even need know how, how to understand. I had, for instance, literally a um, million dollars. I remember that I was managing a $20 million budget of marketing with different people. And the, the, the management team had no clue. Uh, and this is a big thing that is, it seems like should not be possible anymore, but it's still very possible. So this point of digital transformation associated with marketing and as well with branding, especially with personal branding, is critical. And like you said, a startup that is not digital will struggle to get any visibility. But as well, this is actually still the common sense. A lot of, if I see even companies that got 10, 20 million dollars of funding, they have like 10, 10 followers on Twitter or 100. And there's not anyone that really knows how to do that. So, of course, uh, these, of course, not all the different. How do you see this personal branding from the CEO or the C-level or even the employees and then the company? Because it's a big thing. And I know that it's part of the CXO experience because you need to understand the channels and you need to engage with the channels that people um, have. But this is a very challenging thing. So how do you approach this? Uh, probably more from the top level, of course, because not, there's not one case for everyone but as well as a big problem for organizations. Yeah, you're, you're right on, Denise. Uh, a lot of companies, or especially traditional companies, they struggle right, with the, you know, the, even the understanding of social media and the belief in uh, social media. Taking Twitter as an example, 300 million users. Right? Whatever advertisement you're gonna do, how fast can you get information at people's hand you know, in, in, at the right time. And that alone is really something. And then um, Gartner even predicts, right, 69% of the routine work currently done by managers will be fully automated by 2024. Imagine, right, what does that really look like? That to me means that you think about the gig economy become more common, right? Then you gotta really figure out the future work, what that looks like. And then digital um, social media will play a very, very big role uh, because of that, right? To me is that in terms of personal branding, I actually, when I started the, really getting involved, engaged in social media was purely not for, for the purpose of promoting myself. It was really testing out, making sure all the theory that I had uh, advising other companies was practical, 
right? With that purpose, I uncovered, and then I think I don't think it's difficult at all because I knew nothing about Twitter when I started. I still to today until today I have so much to learn. Uh, to be honest with you, and then I'm and then uh, it is time consuming to me. Consistency is really important, right? Spending thirty minutes a day to talk to your audience is so critical. And to me, you the value. Right, really offering the focus on the value, the value that you bring to the community, not just to, to review, to see what's out there, but share your thoughts, right? In, engaging with your audience and then stand for some, you know, really have a point of view on things. And then so that you really, and then the point of view needs to be aligned with what you believe in, with the value. And to me, the organizations who don't really believe in that, they're falling behind, right? As I said, there are only two options for digital transformation. You either disrupt or you're going to be disrupted. And then you have to think about how you won't be disrupted, right? And then you have to think about, you know, what's really important out there uh, that for you to continue the growth, right, of your company, uh, you, I, I think about Walmart versus Woolworths versus maybe you know Kmart, right? Some people don't even know Kmart existed, but that faded, right? Disappeared. The Walmart continues to grow, right? Because of the innovation, right? Now they have Jet.com. They started doing the online. So you look at Amazon too. Started off as a bookstore and now as a giant, right? They do everything from grocery store to e-commerce and everything they do so and then there's also a book publisher the larger book, book publisher right so there to me is that you as a leader you have to embrace the technology i talk about the fourth industry revolution right not only they change who uh, what we do but also change who we are right you think about they will affect our identity and all the issues associated with that and our sense of privacy and then notions of ownership and our consum- you know, consumption patterns, the time we devote to work and leisure, how we meet people and how we nurture relationships. So it's already changing our health and leading to a quantified self. And then sooner than we think, it may lead to a human augmentation, right? So the list is endless because it is bound only by our imagination. And there's also thought, you know, talk about Society 5.0. It's very similar to 4IR in terms of technology used in the idea of merging of cyber, physical, biological world. However, Society 5.0 is more sweeping content, concept that goes beyond the manufacturing and commerce and envisages a complete transformation of our way of life, right? That's being said, Society 5.0 or 4IR, all these emerging technologies will have major impact on the way we live, on how we interact with people, and on our, you know, really how we solve our social problems. For any leader, right, uh, to be in that driver's seat, if you're not aware of the importance of digitalization or social media or all that, those platforms, and then you're falling behind. It doesn't take that long to, to really disappear, right? And so that's really, uh, that's why you, you do see a lot of companies not doing well. This whole COVID-19, in my opinion, uh, really going to 
uh, accelerate some of the um, digitalization and then also make it more important for organizations to transform digitalized. Uh, it's a, I think it's a very big point that you made. So Society 5.0, which is kind of a, a more homogenized and a more balanced, sustainable society that we really need. So um, that's the last questions and we passed the one hour. So well, I have two questions that are related. One, you just touched the COVID-19. And the mm-hmm. COVID-19 is, is actually amplifying the need, I think, in a lot of ways, is leapfrogging countries, organizations, and a lot of other a lot of other challenges that we're facing, especially on cities and different areas. But at the same time, it's showing a lot of the division that we have in the world. If you look, for instance, um, China is much more advanced right now in digital transformation than the rest of the world. And, and for instance, just 10 years ago, it was much, much smaller, and now it passed everything. It's actually the economy of China is much bigger right now than even the US, or actually getting close to that. So how do you see this kind of the, you touched the COVID-19. So from your experience, and of course, a lot of companies in the US alone, I think there's 40 million people unemployed. So we are seeing a massive disruption of the conventional uh, status quo of society. And as well, a lot of opportunities, of course, for digital companies, but as well, a lot of uh, challenges, especially in the, the idea of uh, inequality and, and as well, even people that are struggling with all these different things. So. Um, you, you, you made a lot of very positive, inspiring points of how people can actually look at these things. But how do you see this vision of a balance and actually, actually a post-COVID-19, and especially being in, in Chicago, which is one of the epicenters of a lot of the, the conflicts of society as we have it right now? Mm-hmm. So there, that's a great question, Dennis. Uh, there are a couple of things, right, when I think about COVID-19. COVID-19 actually reminded us about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right? And so health and safety are among our most basic needs. Right? We, we have to address those before we can even think about others like career advancement or personal growth. So in my opinion, we as a world is not even ready to manage the basic needs, right? You look at, and then uh, you look at education, um, Suddenly, all the schools shut down. The kids have to do e-learning. The quality of e-learning is way different than in-classroom learning, right? So that's really prompt, really prompt a question. Um, how do we continue to innovate, leverage the technology we have so that we're more ready for the next pandemic right? we have? Second thought I have is that it should not be a zero-sum game, right? We shouldn't think that if the gain advanced uh, advance, uh, technology in China would have negative impact on the US or vice versa, to me, the world needs to work with each other, regardless of geographic difference, regardless of political point of view. As a, um, the, if the world really get unified, work together, right, to continue to innovate beyond what we have today, the result is so much better, right? You know, because we want, you know, in, in terms of the COVID, if we work together, regardless of the country and nationality, we can probably come up with a vaccine uh, on drug to cure that much faster than what we would have if we're just racing with each other. And then to me that there are many technology emerged uh, because of COVID-19, right? Or in the trend, you think about online shopping and robot, robot deliveries today probably can 
go much faster, and there's digital and contactless payment that emerge, and then the hybrid working environment. So I think that down the road, probably people can live anywhere to get work done. Uh, that's possible. That's uh, more and then there's distance learning right talking about immersive education versus traditional lecture so the kids can learn much better with that rather than have to be in, in classroom trained learning there's also growing demand of telehealth right as a result of covid more online entertainment and then there's also supply chain reform right forced supply chain the big data cloud computing, internet of things, blockchain, and building a lot more resilient uh, supply chain management today for future. And by enhancing the accuracy of data and encouraging data sharing, and then also 3D printing. I can't wait for us to 3D print a house or 3D print a ventilator or mask, whatever we need, we can 3D print them. I can't wait for a day I can travel without bringing any luggage or 3D print them once I arrive at a, at a hotel, right? And then uh, there's that ro robotic and drones, right? If we can maybe leverage robotic and drones to really help to policemen um, to enforce some of the laws and then without any biased behavior, the world will be much better. Uh, and then there's 5G, the adoption of 5G will increase definitely our capability uh, to, to really connect um, across the globe. So to me, there, there's downside of the COVID-19, there's absolutely upside as well, right, from technology advancement perspective. But we have to change our way of thinking as a humankind, right? We should not think about this is a country versus another one, um, you know, the color of, you know, people of color, whatever that is, we should really think about everything holistically and think about how can we advance as a humankind? How can we help each other to live a better life? And how can we relate just to leverage technology to solve the real problems rather than fight with each other? And then um, the, the polarization of the world cannot, should, should never go on, right? That's my view. I just hope that we leverage COVID-19 as an opportunity to digitalize to innovate and then to build a better world for for the for the good of society in general a very humanistic experience which i completely share uh, although it, it's uh, very challenging as well but as well like you said and i, I love that positive vision is about persistence is about all of us doing a bit to change things so as a wrap up for the question so you touch a lot of areas like um well, all the areas of human augmentation, which I think I love particularly, and the, and the idea of, uh, well, 5G and, and artificial intelligence, and as well as one area that you offer, cybersecurity. So I would like to listen to your um, overview in terms of the, some of the trends, uh, besides the ones you mentioned, or the ones that you think are more interesting within the work and the research you've been doing, um, that you see about the present and the future, and, um, and as well with that positive message that you have. So I would say we can learn from the past and imagine the future, but the only scenario we can act on is present, right? So uh, I, I would say the IDC, I read about their recent report, they talk about by 2025, at least 90% of the new enterprise apps will embed AI. And then they also predict by 2024, over 50% of the user interface 
interfaces will use AI-enabled computer uh, vision, speech, NLP, and AR and VR. So the technology advancement, right, is inevitable. But then there are always like two things, right? I think we should right now to really think about can make a huge difference. Number one is the biggest impact in professional services, right? You talk about customer experience because that can help organization to enhance, improve their customer experience. Secondly, advertising, how do you really align your brand messaging to articulate that, the value in to your audience? And then, but three things are really important in my opinion. Number one, in, in current environment, number one, the faster time to market. No matter what you do, that's important. Number two, is greater product innovation because this is a time for organizations to have more time to think about how they further innovate their product. Thirdly, is improved customer satisfaction, right? The cu customer satisfaction is, uh, faction is so important, right? That's the number one priority for most of CIOs when uh, IDG did that survey recently. So if you have a product or you have a solution, that can help organization to improve their customer satisfaction. That's a gold, right? To me, if you focus on those things, and, and um, that's where you can lead to the future growth, right? And leverage what we learned from the past and lead to future growth. So again, I mentioned that technology only contributes 20% of companies' success when it comes to digital transformation. What's really important is that 80% is the, you know, what you do to lead people through that transition uh, and then make them feel that they're being part of the change management. That's the 80% that's really matters to organization. Well, fantastic. I think, I think it's really good stuff. And I think uh, uh, I, I'm, some of these things we can find uh, a lot in your uh, social media presence as well on on your blog in your website in different places so where people can find you and as a wrap-up and that's well I, I probably had one or two more hours to go but i think uh, we're passing one hour i think it's it's a good point here and i think i'm sure that there uh, will be much other follow-ups so where can people find you besides tweet to know about where to find you and connect with you sure uh I am, uh, as you, you know, uh, a, I love hiking, so they can find me if they go to these mountains, big mountains. Just kidding. So Twitter, my Twitter <laughs> handle is you, uh, right? Y-U, uh, Helen Yu. And then they can find me through LinkedIn, or I have a website, uh, taigongadvisory.com. Uh, they can also find me on Showpad, right? So I'm the chief customer officer at Showpad. They can find me on the Showpad uh, website as well. Thank you so much, Ellen. It's been a, a huge pleasure. There's a lot of insights, a lot of fantastic things about uh, our society and technology, but as well uh, a human vote of, of hope and as well of uh, finding a more positive way to look at everything we're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Denise. It's such a pleasure. I'm also writing a book, so hopefully uh, yeah. once ready, I'll share that with you in a, in a few months. No, no, it will be another, another conference for sure. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank Have you. a wonderful rest of the evening. Take care. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye.